Hello, loyal listeners. Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, here to welcome you to the first of our Lost Episodes. Believe it or not, folks, we have more than a couple of unaired episodes filed away in the Longbox Crusade vault. Our tireless staff is always trying out new ideas and creating fun content, but sometimes our regular recording and release schedule prevents us from getting some of these shows to you, our amazing listeners. But we've streamlined some of our processes around here, and no, that doesn't mean that we fired Weasel's Call, but that does mean we're digging out some content from our back catalog for you to check out. You may need to cut us a little slack, because admittedly, some of these episodes are from back in the day when we had super cheap microphones and didn't really know what we were doing. These days, we have, uh, well, much better microphones. So, take a journey with us back to March of 2017, when my podcasting partner and Longbox Crusade founder, Pat Sampson, and I, joined by special guest and musical genius Joe November, tested out an idea we called the Comics to Console Crusade a show where we play comic book-oriented video games and discuss our thoughts on the game, how it measures up to the comic book, and some of the memories related to the time when the game was released. We still haven't ruled out making this a regular, perhaps quarterly feature on the channel, so please let us know what you think of this unaired pilot by commenting about it on our Twitter page, which is at Longbox Crusade, or our Facebook page, which is also Longbox Crusade, or by sending us an email at contact at longboxcrusade.com. A quick editor's note, there were some difficulties on this recording with our Skype recorder, and we lost two small portions of the show. I'll pop back in at those moments during the show and let you know what you missed. Without further ado, I'm happy to welcome you to the pilot episode of the Comics to Console Crusade. Now go. I think you are now ready. Ready to hear what happened. One hundred years ago. Words of guidance you have been hearing since your awakening from Princess Zelda herself. Even now, as she works to restrain again from within Hyrule Castle, she calls out for your help. Hello and welcome to the Comics to Console Crusade. This is the podcast where Pat, Joe, and I comb through my extensive yard sale acquired retro video game collection to discuss the best and the worst of comic oriented video games. Today's featured game is. Now, before we get started, let's meet the hosts of the show. We'll introduce one another and ask each other to describe Batman on the NES in three words. So, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my always excited companion, Pat Sampson. Pat is the creator and primary host on the Longbox Crusade, and he once killed an Ewok, mistaking it for a rabbit Jawa. Now, Pat, if you would be so kind, give me the first three words that pop into your head when you think of Batman on the NES. I'm Patman. <laughs> Ruined the show before we even got to our first break. <laughs> you going with I'm Patman. Okay, I like it. That's actually a nickname I've gone by for a while. Way back. <laughs> that was your assassin name? Sure. I'll, I'll take that. 
uh, before you had to get out of the game. Yeah, it got too it got too much for me. Like last job. Yeah. I'm out of here. What, Batman? What? You can't leave, Batman. And I said, well, you know, guys, I got to get out. Oh. I won't let you. So now I got to keep track of this. I got to keep track of Batman, and I got to keep track of your other nickname or mm-hmm. code name, Batman. if you will. See, I go by different names. He's got a code name on Longbox Crusade now. What's your code name, Batman? You know, I got skills. What flavor of chip is that? It's a mix between the spicy and the cool ranch. You know, sometimes I'm hot. Sometimes I like to be a little cool. Just relax, you know. Go with the flow. Cristatos. A.K.A. Patman. So those are the three words that pop in your head when I say Batman NES. You're going with I'm Patman. That's what I'm going to do. With that, let's introduce Joe November. He's a musical genius. So, Joe, let me ask you that question. In three words or less, describe Batman on the NES. I'm going to say Sunsoft Grand Slam because I think they knocked that one out the park when it came out. To me, there was like they set a precedent of classic games. Sunsoft did like Master Blaster, Fester's Mm. Quest. Even Journey to Cilius, which a lot of people don't know about, but that was a really, really good game that they, mm-hmm, they created. Mm-hmm. I thought this was the best one that they had at the time. Seems like more than three words, <laughs> but I will agree with you. <laughs> it's called embellishing. <laughs> Supporting your arguments. Sunsoft Grand Slam. That's what Sunsoft, I Sunsoft. I like it. Sunsoft Grand Slam. Now i got to cook up something good before it gets to me. Is there a hyphen in there? <laughs> No. Well, Sunsoft uh, is a one yeah. word. It's company. Yeah. yeah. One word company. So there you go. He, he did it. <laughs> he did it. No, I'm giving him props. I think it was an excellent answer. Oh, yeah, I typed that out too, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, he came prepared. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Got my notes. <laughs> notes? What are you what are you talking about? <laughs> no. <laughs> what the hell kind of show do you think this is? <laughs> notes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we had notes. What the hell's going on here? Nobody. <laughs> It was my first one, man. I didn't want to look stupid, so ah, you can't look stupid on radio or internet. <laughs> oh, I think oh, you, yeah. I think we can. Yeah. We've done it before. <laughs> yeah, we've done a pretty good job. <laughs> Two idiots and a microphone. That's going to be the next That's right. podcast. <laughs> so next, I would like to introduce Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. He's a very, very good friend of mine. We met almost two decades ago as young lieutenants in the United States Air Force. We met in tech school, and we immediately connected. We had a great affinity to video games, pop culture, music, and it really set a foundation for a a lasting friendship. I remember one conversation that we had where he said that he wanted to, once he left the service, he was thinking about becoming a teacher. And I think owning a bookstore comic book store comic book store yep and then if you just fast forward to just in the past few years i've seen his growth as a comic artist take him to just new levels and it's really just expanded his goals in life and what he wants to do and he's taken just great pride in what he does and i really appreciate that so I'm, i'm very proud of him and honored to be part of this podcast so jared so how would you describe this batman on the nintendo entertainment system in three words or less that was the most glowing introduction I've ever received, first of all, and I appreciate that, Joe. I appreciate our friendship as well. Batman on NES, three words. I'm going to go with Batman video game. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm going to go that's with... Nice uh, that's genius. <laughs> How do I do it? I'm going to go with odd, interesting, hard. Those are going to be my three words. I think it's an odd game. I think it's interesting, though. 
And I think it's hard. Oh, they didn't have to. So those are my three words. Not as good as the one you they guys. Didn't, came they didn't have to be like sentence oh. or something like that. Does it say that in the yeah. script? No, it Again, doesn't. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I'll try Jordan to do better next time. Notes, those are the three so words of power. We're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> are we recording something? Oh goodness, guys! Uh, anyways, I'm excited to, to do this premiere episode with two very good friends. One of almost a couple decades, the other one of a couple of months. But great guys all around. You know what? Let's throw it over to Joe to take a look at the specs of Batman on the NES in a segment that we like to call "All Your Specs Are Belong to Us." How are you, gentlemen? All your bases are belong to us. You are on the way to So let's talk about some specs for this Batman game. There were three different release dates. It released first in Japan on December 22nd, 1989. And then on February 13th, 1990, it released in the U.S. And finally, Europe got dibs and said, we want it released September 14th of 1990. Yeah, um, almost a full year after mm-hmm. Japan. Yeah, both the publisher and the developer, Sunsoft. So you don't see that much anymore with games. Usually they kind of split it out just because games are so big now that they need to kind of divide out the work between you know separate entities. But back in the day, 8-bit, everybody owned their own properties and their games. So that's what Sunsoft did. The game type is considered an action platformer, 2D scrolling side view. You could call it a shooter, but you do more punching than anything else. You do have shooter when you get the batarang and a couple of the items. It's single player, so only one person at a time. So kids back in the day, they would have to fight to take turns to play to play their favorite Batman game. <laughs> and it was also um, released on several different platforms too, not just the Nintendo Entertainment System, but the Genesis as well as uh, Game Boy. And the Game oh, yeah? Boy one actually was well reviewed. Mm-hmm. So, I had that. Yeah, I had it one too. It was nice. That's about it for that segment. Now we'll go back to Jared, so he'll give us his yard sale to eBay skills for a segment we called Cached Memory. <laughs> Okay, folks, it's time for my first break-in because this is where we had some issues with the Skype recorder. In this portion of Cached Memory, I was covering what the current value of Batman on the NES is in the secondary market. It's about a $5 to $10 game these days, and as we rejoin the show, I'm talking about when I first purchased it at a used game store when I was in high school. You know, back then, it was like a good deal to get it for like 15 or $20, you know, so yeah, probably about what I paid. But, Pat, you never owned it, so you're not allowed to talk. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Pat got it from a Lindley's library yeah. somewhere. Got it. But, yeah, I think the real reason that it doesn't have a high value is not that it's a bad game. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I think it's really common. I think they made a lot of copies of it. We all either owned it or knew somebody who owned it or is readily available at the rental store. There's just a lot of copies out there. And, uh, and if for rightfully so, too, because, you know, it was a licensed game. The movie was popular. So yeah. they wanted to take advantage, you know, strike the iron while it was hot. And strike it, they did. Yep. If you're lucky enough to have the game complete, like with the box and the sleeve and the instructions, like it came from the store, just not factory sealed, that'll bump up to a value of about $40. So people like to spend a little money to get the whole set. And then if you're really lucky and you find one that's never been open, still factory sealed, you're looking at about 175 bucks for a still sealed game. So that's the money money aspect of it as far as on the NES. Now that we've got all that pertinent info hashed out, let's take a quick podcast break and come back to talk about the gameplay of Batman on the Nintendo Entertainment System. 
Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Counts. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? Welcome back from the break. We hope you enjoyed that promo from a friend of the show. Now, let's talk about the actual gaming experience of Batman on the NES. Now, before I jump into that, though, I do want to throw something around the room. Did some call-outs on Twitter and Facebook today. Let people know we were going to record this this evening, see if anyone had comments. And I also ran a Twitter poll to see how people felt about the game. I gave them four choices, ranking from, you know, how they felt about Batman on NES. Was it awesome? Was it pretty good? Was it, I'm not a fan. And then I had the fourth option was, that's a real thing? Question mark. I said, in case you just didn't know about it. And the Twitter poll results are in. Zero percent of the people thought it was awesome. 50% of the poll voters said it was pretty good. 33% of the poll voters said they're not a fan. And 17% said, this is a real thing. So I'm guessing 17% of my Twitter followers are probably high schoolers. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I took away from that. Although, if you guys have any comments on this... I thought that was actually fairly reflective of the quality of the game. You guys have any thoughts on that? I think it's pretty accurate, I would say. Joe, thoughts on those number breakouts? Yeah, I think that's a good representation. There's a lot of people haven't thought about that game in a long time, so it took a while for people to have it recollect in their memories. And then just remember the time in pop culture when that video game came out, when you know the first Batman in a long mm-hmm. time came out, and you know Tim Burton's film, and how it was so popular. Everybody was wearing the yeah. Batman shirts, and mm-hmm. such a huge pop culture thing at the time that just seems so long ago that people just moved on so yeah I think it's good representation yeah I, I agree with that it's a, like a generation uh, gap partly because mm-hmm. yeah it, I would say it's one of those movies that you could call it, it's one of those movies where it kind of helped define a generation particularly since comic book movies weren't that prevalent back then but you know here comes Batman and you know you had Superman in the 80s and Batman in 89 and then through the you know a couple series they had after that a couple of movies I mean and until they started getting really bad. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, I'm looking at you, George Clooney. <laughs> oh, poor George. Everybody Nobody loves is. him but me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't take me down that dark road, fellas. Being the big Batman guy that I am. It's funny, I was listening to uh, like the JLI podcast with Irredeemable Shag, and they always talk about how everybody goes through a Batman phase at some point in their life. My Batman phase started in 89, and it's currently still running through 2017. <laughs> 
Well, there you go. So you yeah, haven't uh, you haven't wavered. Also, stop. Now, Batman's been my favorite superhero since yeah. about well, technically more like '88. I just got into Batman comics, and I realized how much I really liked him right at the time the movie was coming out. So it was like just this one-two snowball punch of discovering the comics, and then now here's the movie, and it's just Batman became my world, and he's still my favorite superhero. But you, but you haven't kind of put him aside for a little while. You know, still kept going, hey, you know, I, I like Batman. I, I think that's cool what's going on. I just got my feel a little bit and found something newer. Why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I've always, I ex- of course, I explore a lot of other comic books, but Batman will always be my favorite. Yeah, I mean, your email address is that Batman. Mm-hmm. Fan. That's true. <laughs> your mistress of the night. Wait, what? Is, is Batman the mistress of the night? That's um. Okay. Anyway, right, let's, let's move along to the. Uh... <laughs> I think you met chick on the side. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> Look, what the yard sale artist does in the yard sale artist's own time is up to the yard sale artist. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> anyway, also on Twitter, we did get a question from a guy I've been friends with for a while, which is interesting because I met him via another social media app called FanCred. We became friends on FanCred, Tinder. and I kind of got away from FanCred. <laughs> A.K.A. Tender. Sure, we'll go with that. Anyway, he goes by Josh Uway, J-O-S-H-U-W-A-Y. And I've actually met Josh in real life because he's an Auburn guy, too. He lives in Auburn, and I've linked up with him at a couple of sporting events. He's a great guy. He's a former Marine, just an all-around good cat. (laughs) (laughs) With a shout-out from Pat there. (laughs) We'll give a shout-out. That's how I do it now. What up? (laughs) How do you talk like that? (laughs) What? It's not illegal to talk like that, see? <laughs> the first comment he had was, he remembered how difficult the game was. And then he asked me on the Twitter tweets, and I told him I'd throw it to you guys. Which game from the old NES do you think is more difficult? Batman or the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game? Let's start with our fresh guest, Joe. What do you think? Hands down, Turtles. Turtles? Hands, hands down. I... And three-fingered hands down, Turtles. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Elbows, too, because, gosh. <laughs> that game. I remember I got to one of the levels. I can't remember which one it was, but because... Could you save in that game? I can't recall if you could save in that game I don't or not. Remember, I don't remember being able but to. But I remember I... having to pause and keep the game on like overnight for like two or three nights because I didn't want to lose my place in the game <laughs> just so I could proceed further, and then I would die, and then it would be off or not uh and i i eventually eventually beat it but i know i beat batman much quicker than i beat that first turtles game first turtle game is oh that was a tough game i can't remember too like joe said if you could save i thought you could the points were very far and few between where you could so you had to repeat a lot of it again but yeah the, I, i've never beat that game and i think i just gave up at the time for the turtles <laughs> understandable yeah i'm gonna agree with the both of you i think turtles was harder I beat it eventually, but I'm going to admit that I went Game Genie to beat it. And let me tell you this much. I still struggled because there's some instant death in that game where there's nothing you can do about it, right? You fall into a spike pit and you die. Well, if you're playing Game Genie and you have the I can't die code in and you fall into a pit, then you're just trapped there. (laughs) And you have to reboot the whole damn thing. So, yeah, even cheating that game is is a turtle shell buster. I know, right? There's limits even in God mode, huh? (laughs) 
<laughs> really are. There's some downsides. I don't think I've had a. I don't think oh my I did goodness, Genie at all with, with the Nintendo. Yeah, I didn't do it with the Nintendo, but I did have the Game Shark for the PS and yeah, the PS2. I, no, yeah. I also have the Game Shark on my Dreamcast. What? Just want to show off there, or as I call him, Doctor Eamcast. <laughs> Doctor Eamcast. <laughs> <laughs> I got problems. Dork. <laughs> You are, Burn. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that was our one listener question for our initial episode. Yeah. I think having at least a question for our kickoff episode that nobody even knows this podcast exists yet is not bad. Yeah. So thanks, Josh, for sending, sending us in a question. So let's get into the game experience itself. And, and we're going to run through a few different categories here. If you guys you know, actually are using your show notes, if not, I'll walk us through, <laughs> walk us through it. All right. So let's talk about a lot of times when we think video games, it's a very visual medium. So let's just just jump right in to the graphics. What are your thoughts on the NES graphics? What I remember loving about this game was it reminded me so much of Ninja Gaiden. Yes, yes. The, the yeah. gameplay, the, the platform, the scrolling, the jumping from side to side, that mechanic. It was very Tecmo, and I loved it. That was one of the appeals. The way your um, your health looked, the top left hand of the screen was very similar to that game, Ninja Gaiden, as well. And the way that you combated against the monsters was very similar. Yeah, it was great. Awesome. All right, Pat, thought on the graphics? Pretty good. You know, I think at the time it was probably the best you could you see coming from a kid at that age they were really nice looking the <laughs> cutscenes were really cool yes and, and being a side scroller everything moved and did what it needed to do i find it hard now to kind of look at a game after being a part of that evolving of it and, and seeing it go from <laughs> you know an old system or old pong game to you know atari 2600 and, and going up to where we are nowadays so if i know it's so to weird go back and you know when i when we did the you know a little bit of the replay of this game and and that it was wow you know but i i would say yeah it's still amazing to me the, the graphics and really really held up how about you Oh, I would agree with that. I think the graphics hold up really well. And you pointed out my highlight of the graphics of the game, which was the cutscenes. The Batmobile looked good. Batman looked good. They did that sort of quasi-trick animation with that Batmobile driving. And they had the Batwing flying around in some scenes. And it all looked very on-movie mm-hmm. model, you know? Yeah. yeah. So they, Yeah, they used the actual caricatures of the actors and actresses from the movie. So mm-hmm. it tied in really, really well. It did. I think the game looks good in cutscenes. And during gameplay, there's a few quirks that bug me a little bit. I don't know if it's just, you know, maybe the settings on my TV, but Batman always looked a little purple to me, well, which I know, thought I've was heard, weird. I've heard a lot of some other reviews about that, too, and, and some complaints that, you know, oh, Batman's purple. Well, you think about it, they had to make him purple so you could see the guy you're playing against the back background. Because if he was black, <laughs> you, you wouldn't be able to see him that much. I agree with that to an extent, but then then I flip that on its ear and say, well, brighten your background. Mm. But then again, they were probably trying to keep the tone of the 89 movie. So I think you make a valid point. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of sunlight no. in that movie. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'll give it that. But like... He was purple. He was purple. And I don't know yeah. if this bleeds... <laughs> I don't know if this bleeds over into gameplay or whatever. We can talk about whatever. It's our show. We do what we want. I thought the graphics in-game was interesting. This is the best way I can put it. I was messing around with the game... My 10-year-old son, Jordan's watching. He likes retro games. And he's like, this is pretty cool. But then he kept asking questions like, why is Batman fighting a little robot? And why is Batman <laughs> fighting this guy with a jetpack? And I guess that comes more into game design, which, you know what? Let's just segue yeah. to that. The 
next section yep. is game design. That part always kind of bugged me that it really kind of felt like Sunsoft maybe had another game on the shelf and they were like, eh, we can put Batman in this and make it work. That's kind of how it felt to me. Do you guys have thoughts on that or, or on the game design overall? Uh, let's start with Pat. You go first this time. Uh, yeah, I, I do think you're kind of, you're onto something there. Uh, yeah, hey, we got this game that the guy's going to scroll and he can do all these, you know, shooting and all that. It's a canned game somewhat. We just need to put different characters in. The different stages that it was in, I think, what is it, like five rounds mm-hmm. and three? Yeah. Relatively short. Yeah. It did what it needed to do, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long they had to get this game ready. Was that That's a good point. Call? A lot of movie tie-in games get rushed. You're right about that. Yeah, maybe they had some sprites available for other games, and they're like, well, let's just use those, and, you know, all of a sudden, Batman's punching a robot. Well, and, and you don't see those yeah, you don't see those things in the movie at all. No, yeah, definitely. Some of the bosses you, don't see. you definitely didn't see in the movie at all. Yeah, it was really interesting just watching some of the gameplay on YouTube, and you're like, this dude has a flamethrower. Like, what? Where is that? <laughs> It's like 40 guys with flamethrowers. <laughs> These weird, mutated RoboCop-looking creatures coming at you. The Get one looks like, like a giant... <laughs> yeah, one dude looked like a giant like gorilla, yeah. like jumping around. Oh, God, those guys were a pain in the butt. So, did you have any other thoughts on game design, Joe, or... I think they did a good job of using the 2D platform just to scroll through different screens to maneuver through the different stages. You know, it felt very, like I said, Ninja Gaiden, felt very Castlevania-like, which were very popular yeah. games at the time. So they used that formula very well. Any final thoughts on game design? No, I, I think Joel's right, too. I think the scrolling and the, how they designed the different levels out was good and hard. Definitely smart people that want to make the game tough for you. Very good on that part of it. Okay. That's going to roll us into our next topic, which is very nebulous, just sort of your opinion. What do you feel is sort of the overall enjoyability of the game? How does it make you feel, you know, to play it? How much do you enjoy it? What kind of vibe do you get from it? Pat, what you got? Playing it again brought me back to that time again when it came out. It made me feel like I was Batman. You know, I was able to punch, jump, climb, do a battering, and, and a couple other weapons. It was enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. Joe? Yeah, same thing with the tie-in to the movie. You know, you definitely had that association factor, which was pretty high at the time, and then now when you, whenever you play it, that, you know, I'm, I'm actually playing as Batman from the movie. This could be Michael Keaton's character that I'm suiting up with and, you know, fighting bad guys with. That part was cool, and again, the fact that it ties into a very, very extremely popular movie franchise, you you know, that didn't hurt at all. But now you do it now in 2017, the time frame is so large that now it's just pure nostalgia. Trying to go back to that time when you're playing the game and you know, seeing Jack Nicholson's Joker and the cutscenes telling the Batman, you know, do you want to dance with Devil in the Pale Moonlight? And all that good stuff. And it's like, oh, that's from the movie. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> Just things like that, where it just kind of triggers back to the movie. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. From my point of view, the enjoyability is decent, and I think exactly like what you guys are saying. It's it's nostalgia-based. I think this game will somewhat be lost to time. If you look back to the NES library, I think fewer and fewer people would be like, oh, Batman. And and if they do get Batman, it's going to be based off yeah, of... not my Batman. Batman as yeah. a character, not mm-hmm. in the movie, right? So I think we have a good enjoyability for it because of nostalgia. I think the younger generations, it'll probably get a little bit lost at time. It might stick around because it's Batman. 
But yeah. I think, you know, it's not going to be in league with Super Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda, you know, those NES classics that will never go away. But I think it's overall, it's fairly enjoyable. When I go look at my NES library, it's not one of the first ones that I want to grab and pop in and play, but it's one of those that I know I'll eventually get around to it. I think the last time I actually popped in and played it for reals, for real, like I fiddled with it for the show, but like played it for reals was with my buddy Delvin when we were in college. I think we actually sat down and took it to task and finally beat it. Nice. But, which this will roll nicely into it. Next topic is, what's your favorite thing about the game? And I think it's Joe's turn to go first. Joe, what's your favorite thing about Batman? on the NES. I like that they use the actual actors and actresses' faces and really had such detail with it in 8-bit, you know, yeah. game. You can tell who they are in 8-bit. Yeah, you can definitely tell. It wasn't much guesswork on, you know, that was Vicky Vale, that's Batman, that's the Joker. That was really cool. Like we said earlier, it ties into the nostalgia element and that makes you be like, yeah, I'm playing Batman from the movie. I'll get into the least favorite part later, but the, yeah, there was <laughs> one thing I was extremely disappointed about. I'll, throw, I'll throw that back to you in a minute. I promise All right. you I will. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, favorite thing about uh, the game? I would agree with Joe, the cutscenes. I like that. And I also enjoyed the music. And I know we're going to get to that in another section of the show, but I definitely enjoyed the what? music. What? So. <laughs> it made me, you know, that made okay. me feel the mood. Mm, put me put you in the mood. I love it. Well, I'm going to be a completely unoriginal bastard, and <laughs> I'm going to have to say, yeah, uh, the cutscenes, before I pop this in to refresh on it before we did this podcast this week, the thing that I vividly remembered most was those cutscenes with the Batmobile and how it like skids up and then like Batman sort of animatedly jumps out of it. That's what I remembered from it. So I think that's yeah, the most lasting thing is, is they put a lot of time and effort in the cutscenes. As we said, the gameplay is not bad, but it's fairly generic. I think they put a lot of time and effort in saying, we have to make the cutscene slick we have to make the opening screen slick and immediately evoke the movie and i think they were successful in that so i think we're all in agreement now let's talk about where it's not uh, our least favorite things or goofy things about the game that just kind of bug us about it that keep it from being that superstar nintendo title and I, I know joe's chomping at the bit but my notes say it's pat's turn to go first so pat, <laughs> pat you get to go first least favorite well, thing. well i think the least favorite thing is the difficulty and the the frustration of playing it through and some of the <clears throat> the, the characters like that jumping monkey guy or whatever you want to call it oh man that guy was just all over me but my least favorite part of it is, is that uh, not saying I want things easy? Yeah, Difficulty. not saying I want it easy. Uh, you know, challenging, frustrating. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I'd, I'd it. say yeah. it's so difficult it, it makes it less yeah. fun. So I agree with you on that. Now I can't wait to hear what, what Joe's least <laughs> favorite thing in the game. He's ready to go. What you got, Joe? In games where you're playing against other people, like massive multiplayer online games, you have what you call trash mobs. These are the types of enemies that you just kind of blow through to kind of get to the end level boss or the mid level boss, and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So the mechanics in order to beat these trash mobs in this game, I remember it being very frustrating to kind of understanding the movements of where someone is flying around. You have to guess where they're going to be next in order for you to punch them because it's not like you had a gun 24-7. This is melee combat. You had to make sure you get in and punch them. But if they're moving around and flying around and jumping around like the big monkey one or the guy with the flamethrower in the air and you kind of had to do those mechanics to make sure you don't get killed and fall into a pit <laughs> that, that was very, very frustrating. It was just the mechanics of the trash mobs and trying to decipher the riddle of how to get past them. And there were so many different kinds. That part was frustrating for the game. I could agree with that. Yeah. I actually have a few things written down. <laughs> <laughs> so, as as my least favorite. One of them kind of dies. 
That's just one of them ties in nicely with what Joe was talking about. There's points in the game where you have to jump down a hole where you can't see where you're going and basically just be lucky and guess which way you need to fall or you might need to grab a wall. And I always hated that in games where it's like, you know, either guess right or you die and come back and try again later. And you just sort of like have to die and die and die and die to memorize the layout of a level. And that was typical of a lot of games back then, but I never enjoyed it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so the blind jumps. Could, yeah, especially if you couldn't get a subscription to Nintendo Power, because they usually have those types of things in there where it's like, mm. you know, here's where the map is, and don't forget to jump here, and that type of thing. <laughs> you didn't have that. Yes. yes. But that's not even my biggest gripe about the game. Gripe number two, and we'll build to my biggest one. At the end of the game, when you beat the Joker, who for some reason is like twice as big as Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed yep. that. Your yeah. final boss is Joker. He's like twice yeah. as big yes, as Batman. Yeah, he's like, he gets all Bane on you. <laughs> Which makes no sense. And well, that's funny you should mention that because that actually happens in, is it the first Arkham game from the new series? Yeah. Joker gets all amped up? I think so. Yep. Anyway, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. They gave us a spoiler back in uh, 1990, y'all. Uh, <laughs> the Joker was going to be bigger than Batman. And then, like, at the end of the game, you beat it, and Batman straight up murders him. He just knocks him off yeah. the top of the thing. Yep. Yep. He's straight up murders the joker and you know that was a sticking point for a lot of people with the movie you know the Mm -hmm. joker being dead Mm -hmm. at the end but if you remember the movie batman didn't necessarily kill him he tethered him to the statue and it was the helicopter pilot who didn't know that that ended up killing the joker in the game he just straight up is like you suck and punches him in the face right off the top of the thing just straight up murders him so i thought that was weird that brings me to my final complaint about the game and it is this i get that they're tying it to the movie okay i get that But with the absolute menagerie of awesome Batman villains, we didn't get anybody, really, but the Joker. Like, your first boss was interesting because they used Firefly. That's a Batman villain for those of us who really know Batman. I mean, your surface-level Batman fans don't know who that is. Other than that, I didn't even recognize the other villains. Somebody else did some research on this, and I remember reading about it. There was Killer Moth was a boss. I don't know if that's in the comic books. He there is, was the electric the electrocutioner. Oh, that guy was the electrocutioner. Okay. Yeah. I got it. They went with a lot of B-teamers then. Yeah. Or C-teamers. There was even <laughs> one boss where you just fought like a computer, like a, a, console like a machine. Or the, yeah. Yep. It was the machine intelligence system. Yep. Yeah. And I was just like, what? I don't know if there was like licensing issues because it was tied to the movie or whatever, but I'm like, right. uh, Riddler, Penguin, yeah. Catwoman, Killer Croc. No, we're going to give you the dual container alarm as a boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? It's like the thing from 2001 A Space Odyssey. What are you doing, Batman? <laughs> <laughs> I can't let you do that, Batman. Anyway, I thought you got this great stable of villains. I mean, but between Batman and Spider-Man, they have the two greatest stables of villains, probably all of comic books, and that we got this kind of lame-ass lineup. Yeah. And yeah. Again, it might have been licensing and all that. And like we talk about on the comic book shows, even when I say negative stuff, I've never programmed a game. Sure. I doubt there's a lot of guys who worked on the game listening to our podcast, but if you worked on the game, you did a good job. We're nitpicking. Yeah. Um, and that's just how it is, which we probably won't be able to say about a lot of these superhero games we're going to <laughs> review. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe you had a sprite of, you know, Larry, the bank robber that you wanted to put in there. And it's like, no, no, no. Let's just use another character instead. <laughs> Someone that has a little bit more mechanics than just stealing money. <laughs> 
at some points I would have appreciated Larry the bank robber. At least he's like <laughs> a Batman type villain. Like I've never seen yeah. Batman fight like the tiny little robots yeah. that you have to bend down, punch in the robot face and like, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, let's do final thoughts and final verdicts. You know, we'll be completely unoriginal and score this on a scale of one to 10, where you can give your final thoughts on the game and give it a score. So Joe, what do you got? I'll look at it from, you know, when it came out, when the movie came out and then the game came out and just the total package and the timing of when everything came together, I'd give it a 9 out of 10 just because Woo! of what it represented at the time. Alright, uh, Joe's got a lot of love for the game. It had great difficulty, but it had great ties into the movie. It was still fun to play, and you know the graphics weren't just terrible. They were pretty good for the time, and you know, it used cutscenes as well to kind of tell a story which was engaging, and so that's that's what I give it. Alright, not bad. He gives it a high mark. He gives it a 9 out of 10. What do you think, Pat? Well, I'm caught between a 7 and an 8 on it. Same thing with Joe. I'm looking at it with my kid eyes again. It came out, the, like Joe said, the right time. Following the movie, everybody was hyped for it. Good side-scrolling game. Difficulty was totally there. Story-wise, it was somewhat based on the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So, otherwise, graphics, cutscenes, loved it. So, I gotta say seven. I think that's the best score you could possibly give it, because I also gave it a seven uh, <laughs> for a lot of reasons that uh, you guys did. And then I get why Joe gave it a nine, especially he's looking at it from that time. I think, yeah, I would probably be fired up to give it a nine. But as I play it now, it's a seven. It's a solid seven, you know, which a lot of time in the video game industry nowadays, if you get a seven, people think that's a bad game. And I just like to remind everyone that an average game is a five. So this is well above average. If you take the cadre that we have on the show, it looks to me like... Uh, uh, Batman ended up scoring a, my math is right, a 7.7 overall. And I think everybody's going to be a little different. My taste in a game is probably different than Joe's taste in a game. I love RPG games, so. Uh, you guys oh, can yeah. just start talking amongst each other. Yep, oh. you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> but, you know, and so I, I love that kind of story aspect. I'm looking for that part. Does it draw me in? Does it let me role play? You know, I'm not a side-scroller, shooty kind of guy. You know, it was a Super Mario. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do that. Paper Mario. Love it. You know, so everybody's got their different, how they like their games and how they like to play them. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I've often thought that if you take the mechanics of a RPG, you know, Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest style and did like an Avengers game or an X-Men game RPG, that would be a lot of fun. You know, but people don't really do that. (laughs) (laughs) Although I got seriously into City of Heroes when that came out for the massive multiplayer online RPG. I played the heck out of that game. Freedom Force is good, too. (laughs) Freedom Force. Yeah, I had Freedom Force. You're looking for that. Yeah, I'm definitely into the MMOs. I I do play a few of them still. The Guild Wars, Guild Wars 2. Yeah, I had to give some of that up. I used to. It's tough. I got to go to counseling now. (laughs) He's getting depressed. (laughs) (laughs) let's just move on um, before the show gets too depressing so we've talked about the graphics we talked about game design enjoyability favorites least favorites we gave it a verdict but it seems like we might have forgotten something and I think I know what it is let's throw it over to our old buddy Joe November our on-staff musical genius to talk about the music in a segment called Superconductor So, I 
watched the end credits to see who actually created the music for this game, and it was two gentlemen by the name of, let me see if I pronounce these right, Nobuyuki Hara, who went by Nobuyuki Kun in the game, and then Naoki Kodaka, who was known as Kodaka-san in the game. Those were the two music producers, conductors, and the composers, I should say, for this particular game. They did a great job for the music at the time, but I will say, you know, they tried. And the reason I say they tried is because when I first played the game, I recall being really disappointed in the music because, again, this is all tied back to Tim Burton's Batman. It was a box office smash. Everybody was wearing the Batman t-shirts. And radio and TV were playing what song from the movie? Yes, yes. Bat Dance Dance by Prince. Bingo. So I expected to hear some Prince. (laughs) (laughs) And so you can imagine my disappointment. Man, (laughs) now you've created a whole new level of disappointment for me. Because you know I'm the world's biggest Prince fan. And this never even occurred to me. Now I hate this game. This game sucks. (laughs) I'm changing the score. This game gets a two. (laughs) (laughs) That never even occurred to me. What kind of crap Prince fan am I that that never occurred to me? Anyway. Uh, Yeah. In that aspect, I feel like the game's music was really nothing to write home about. It was just standard chiptune, up-tempo beats that drove the pace when it was required and, you know, slowed down in the cinematics just to kind of match the mood of the, the gameplay itself. And I was also disappointed that they used a lot of the same chiptunes in most of the cinematics. And that's what we were talking about before we started actually recording the show. That, you know, there's a lot of the same music that they used. But I do like the boss fight music. I thought that was really cool. Especially the melody, it really reminded me of Contra. I can't remember if it was C or Contra itself, but there were some of the melody elements that reminded me of playing that game. I also liked the desperation of level four where you're fighting in the lab ruins. level four so you got to get to level five but you're closer to the goal of beating the game you know everything was kind of tying into hey you're kind of getting closer to it so the music was a little more desperate you had the flickering tv images of the joker in the background to tell you you're almost at the goal of finding him very cool but, very cool <laughs> but at the end all you're finding is some decked out ultra alarm system so that was kind of <laughs> <laughs> So, my least favorite music was the intro screen music. Before you press start. Yeah, it's uh, very monotone and boring. It didn't really jive with the sounds from the movie at all. should have had the Joker have his own theme music when you fought him, but it was the same boss music as the other four bosses. They didn't have any vocal sound bites or anything from the movie, which would have really been a nice tie. I mean, it's not like they couldn't do it. I mean, there were games we played back in the day, even that early, that had sound bites. I'm remembering an obscure game called Adventures of Bayou Billy. They had <laughs> from that game. <laughs> <laughs> So it could have been done, but why they decided to do it, 
Nobody knows. <laughs> but you can find the various songs for this game as MP3s on various websites. There's one that I found it. It was called khinsider.com. And you go to the download section and it's just full of video game music. And this game is in there. So you can download to your heart's content. But speaking of music, there's also great places where folks have kind of submitted their remixes for various video games for the music itself. And there's a good website called ocremix.org. OC means overclocked. So it's Overclocked Remix, and I went over there and I found two fairly decent remixes that you can listen to. One kind of has like a 70s TV show cop feel to it, which was kind of nice, and the other one's kind of like a funky dance floor track. So it was very, very imaginative and very talented people that did that. You can also download the actual chiptune.nsf files to download, where you can listen to not only just the background music, but the sound effects as well, from everything to you know the batarang to you know, punch and things like that. You can listen to all that, but you have to have player like Winamp or something like that. And even then, you have to download an additional plugin to listen to chiptune music. But it's all free. So oh, interesting! Wow, that's a lot yeah. of great insights you got there. Yeah. You really did way better than I thought. I thought you were going to suck on that segment. Way to exceed expectations. Boy. You did. The only throw-in I have there is, even though you shattered my world with no Prince music, this game sucks. But I always thought it was weird that they didn't use any of the Danny Elfman score. I mean, it's so iconic. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was weird. What do you think, Pat? Music-wise, like I said, I, I liked the yeah. music before. It gave me that at least that feeling of, oh, i got to hurry up and got to get this point or you know, <laughs> something's coming. Those kind of different feelings, it fit for me. Granted, I'm not a big music person as Joe is. I, I liked it. It did what it needed to do. I, yeah. I would say I, I agree, though. It's mm-hmm. you know I was expecting that Batman theme music, or at least somewhere in there, that more that kind of music. I wasn't expecting Prince music, but you know you, you could always put that. Yeah. Now but I may, am. You know what? It might be the <laughs> <laughs> the way to play it, though, is to play it listening to the soundtrack. Yes. I'm just trying yes, to... Yes, there you go. Fit, fit of where part would... Uh, the arms of Orion would fit in. Nah, little Nicky. The arms of Orion, that's where I want to be. <laughs> nah, little Nicky all the way. <laughs> Since you've been gone, I've been searching for a lover in the sea of tranquility. Drowning without you. Oh, we do this every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I do have Bat Dance on a 12-inch, and what was the other song that was Party Man? Party Man. I have Party Man on a 12-inch as well. <laughs> Gentlemen, let's open our minds. From their minds, Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> See, every podcast we do, we all end up singing a song. <laughs> Vicky Vale. Uh, I like Vicky <laughs> That's good stuff. Going back to the game itself, the one thing that Joe pointed out that I hadn't thought about that I thought was kind of cool is the boss fight music was pretty good. It definitely was like, you hear the music and you're like, this is a boss fight. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. So, yep. yeah, I'll, I'll sign up for that. I didn't mean to hijack your section, though, Joe. I do this to Pat all the time on the other show. No. Uh, back back to you, your segment. <laughs> no. Hey, it's over and done with now. I am ready to pass it on over to Pat. <laughs> So we can talk about how well the game captures the uh, essence of the comic book in this segment called Reformat. Right, well, thanks, Joe. See how I did that? It's another computer uh, term. You know, how I titled all the segments. I'm very clever. I see. Anyway. <laughs> I get it now. 
Well, some of the stuff to kind of talk about, we've already kind of discussed a lot of different points of it as well, too. So quick fun fact that you guys may not know, or maybe you do know, uh, Joe had mentioned Nintendo Power already, that this game was featured on the cover of Nintendo Power Volume 10 in 1990. I'm not sure on the month that was, nice. but um, the Volume 10. So if you were a Nintendo subscriber, or if you were like me, you probably went down, hung out at the, we didn't have it at the PDQ, but we, we I did go to the Walden books <laughs> um, at the Walden books to see uh, you know so you would sit there with your slushy or whatever free reading some of the books or magazines mm. at the time trying to learn how to beat certain different things did either of you guys have a subscription to Nintendo Power no mm. but my friends did at school so I would always just read their copies yeah. yeah I didn't I didn't have it either it's one of those things that I desperately wanted and I was like to my parents can I please get a subscription to Nintendo Power but they didn't love me so <laughs> it was all TV dinners and cigarette burns on my arms. Yeah. And, that's yeah. a whole other podcast. Anyway, yeah, that's another podcast. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's, seriously, I, I had pretty darn good childhood with good parents. But, um, I wanted Nintendo Power. Of course, we all did. But, I mean, you know, we had there's three yeah. kids and only my dad worked and he was a soldier. And, you know, don't make a lot of money soldiering in the Army. So, yeah, I didn't get the Nintendo Power. Something to dream about. I had, like, a, probably for a year, but I think it was, like, later on down the road was when I had it. So, we're not here to talk about Nintendo Nintendo Power, let's talk about how this game correlates with the comic. For people listening, so I'm not really going to go into too much about Batman, because I think everybody listening by now knows who he is, knows a lot about him, his comic career, who created him, how long he's been around. I just don't want to rehash all of that, but at the time, this was a big turning point, at least the way I say it, a big kind of turning point for him in his back career, especially with this movie coming out, a more serious movie compared to the 66 movie so it was definitely a good time to be a batman fan i know it was for me because at around this time i started getting more comics i was interested more in what was going on in the batman world as far as how this environment compares to the comics well there's some things we kind of mentioned it already before with the villains they weren't really a-lister villains and you know you just had to get to the joker which tied into the movie because there weren't really any other villains that were introduced in that movie at all. The other thing is the tie into the movie. Somewhat there. You pick up later on as you're trying to hunt down some of the terrorist things or so that Joker has planned for the city as they're getting ready for the big gala event. So you kind of pick up in that spot of it as well. I would have liked a little more side fighting, you know, alleyway smackdowns and things like that. So what do you guys think on the villains? Did they make sense? The villains were kind of out there. And it was like what we talked about before. They weren't the recognizable villains that we know and love. They were just sprites that they decided to have jump around that you got to beat. Yeah. Just to get to the Joker. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead on a future question here or not, Pat, but I think you brought up a great point. You said, you know, I like to fight in an alleyway, a little more Gotham-esque than some sort of generic sci-fi background. And I I think it would have been neat, too, if they had like a level where you get to drive the Batmobile or fly the the Batwing. Yeah. It's just to mix it up a little. But again, like we talked about, most of the time movie games are kind of rushed to sync up with movie release. So if that's the case, as we suspect it is, they did a pretty good job yeah. of tying it to the movie. Now, of course, you're a segment, Pat, and you probably have more to say about reformatted. I think it ties to the movie well. To the comic book, that's a whole other question, but I'll throw it back to you, Pat, and let you run your segment. No, but that does bring it up. Is it tying to the movie? 
Yes. Does it have the the look of the comic? You got Batman. You got Joker. I think the cutscenes definitely looked awesome. And they looked, uh, we all agreed too, I think that they were really good to the movie, to the comic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess you got to take that aspect out, you know, the comic book aspect out of it. It's based on a comic book character, but it is totally tied to the movie. Yeah. So, as far as comic book character making you feel like when you play it, to me, yeah, at the time, you know, I could be a Batman. I can play as Batman. How cool was that, you know? Yeah. I thought that was pretty good. How about you guys? What did you think? Playing Batman was definitely the highlight point. It was definitely bigger than, you know, any of the Superman game or Spider-Man. And I can't remember if there was a Spider-Man game that came out during that time. But, uh, yeah, it was just all Batman. That was the year mm-hmm. of the Batman. There was a Spider-Man Sinister Six game that came for NES. I'm not sure what year. Mm-hmm. But obviously slightly more forgettable than this. <laughs> so I think it stepped up and did its job. What I I think the most interesting thing about this is, is, and Pat hit the nail on the head, does this game tie to the comic book? No, it doesn't. It ties to the movie. But to answer the specific question, do you feel like Batman when you play? Yeah, especially back then. You know, that was the first time we we were able to put hands on a controller and control Batman. And I think it's also kind of neat to point out that provided the show continues on for a long time and we get to do these, which I hope we do. I enjoy doing this with you guys. We can look at other Batman games down the road. And I don't know that there's, just off the top of my head, that between here and the Arkham sagas, which we all agree, I think, are pretty fantastic. I don't know that there's a better Batman game between here and there. There are Not some a, Batman there games. There are some Batman games, I agree, but a better one? Uh, wasn't there one based on the um, Cartoon Network series for the Game Boy? The animated one? Yeah. Batman, the animated series? There, m- there was. Like, man, yeah. yeah. There was a decent one on PS2 that was based off the animated series. I remember playing and beating that. There's a pretty good beat-em-up on Super Nintendo based off of Batman Returns. But Batman sort of has a long legacy of having okay games until the yeah, Arkham yeah. series. Until the Arkham, yeah. And the neat thing is this is their first one out of the box. This is like really the first Batman game we can get. And it's not no, bad. No. You know? Yeah, 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 by all means. It's not no, a turd of a game. Not, not bad at all. I just thought that was interesting. Well, any other thoughts? No. I, I think, think we covered it. Yeah, good job. <laughs> then with that, now that we've got that comic to game comparison all figured out, let's take another quick podcast promo break. When we come back, we'll talk about our memory of the game and bring the show to a close. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have, about a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity Crisis. Lone Wolf and Cub. Hergé's Tintin. The White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory. When the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. (laughs) It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo. Of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. 
Splash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Welcome back to the show. Let's hop into our DeLorean and get it going to about 88 miles per hour and talk about our memories of this game and what was going on in our lives in a segment called Save Point. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore, but some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. Some video game events and notable releases for this first quarter of 1990, Bonk's Adventure is released for the NEC TurboGrafx-16 and is the first U.S. appearance of Bonk. Now, I had this game. Yep, I I got this. I still got this little chip. That's what I remember most about the TurboGrafx was that Bonk's Adventure. I never never even played it, but just remember seeing it in the magazines and and things. So I was like, oh, that looks like a pretty cool game, but I'd never played it. It's a game. It's basically Mario, but their version of a Mario, and he Bonk his head, bonk, bonk. I've never played it either. When it comes to Turbo Graphics 16, I think of Bonk and Splatterhouse. That's it. Splatterhouse. <laughs> <laughs> For the 16, I have several different games that I have for that. One of my other favorites would have been, is it Wise or Yeast 1 and 2? Oh, uh, I think oh it's yes. Yeast. Yeah. Yeast? Yeah, yeast. I think it's Yeast. Yep. RPGs, right? Yep. There you go. So, <laughs> I'm going to Good go ahead joke. and, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do, <laughs> which is <laughs> pronounce some of these cool Japanese games. I'm just going to say there was a plethora of Japanese games that came out by Namco, but there were some stateside games like World Stadium 90, Final App 2, Dragon Saber, Rolling Thunder 2, Steel Gunner, and Golly! Exclamation point, Ghost! Exclamation point. <laughs> I don't know that I've played any of those the games. Final App 2, I remember. It's, that was like a like racing game. Oh, okay. Car racing game. I thought that was like a poor man's Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> you just, just sit in someone's lap. <laughs> oh, just fight dragons from the lap. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling Thunder, I've heard of. Dragon Saber sounds cool, but I don't know that I've messed with it. No, I haven't Me. either. Namco, just, you know, stick to Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry you got a crappy one there, Joe. I'll try to save us by letting everyone know that on February 12th of 1990, Nintendo released a little-known game <laughs> in North America called Super Mario Bros. 3, which ended up selling like 17 and a quarter million copies, making it the best-selling standalone video game of all time. Not enough million. <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> Not enough. And I think I was going to say, I was going to think oh, the ahead, kids man. nowadays call it Mario Bros. Bros. Mario Bros. Yeah. <laughs> They don't say brothers. <laughs> I tell you, my immediate memory of that is during the Nintendo heyday, like when it really popped, like in the late 80s, I was living in Germany, and it was hard to find Nintendo games over there. Like, we get them in our PX just once in a great while. I mean, put it to you this way. Like, I had my NES, and by the time I left Germany, I had, you know, Mario Duck Hunt that came with it. I had California games and Skater Die. And Blaster Master. I had California Games, Blaster Master, Skate or Die. Those were all the games I could find. Thanks be to the most gracious of gods (laughs) who who allowed me to stumble upon Blaster Master. What a great game. But yeah, that's how hard it was. I mean, those are the only games I could find, period. You have to buy what you could find. 
And that's all I could find. So I come back from Germany in 90, and it's right when the Mario 3 hits. And it's just like mind-blowing to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, Mario 3! Me and my cousin rented it, and I was all so excited about it. And then I'd sold, I sold, don't ask me why. Well, I'll tell you what. I sold, I sold my NES because I thought it would be smarter to sell it and use the money to buy a Game Boy. Oh, yeah. Kid logic. Oh, I, I don't know. Because <laughs> then you could and take then, it anywhere with so you, I was as like, long as you had enough batteries. Yeah, exactly. I could take it anywhere. And the funny thing is I had my NES hooked up to a black and white TV in my room. So I was like, it's not like I'm losing color. I already play on a black and white TV. <laughs> so, But this is the game that made me like, oh, I really want an NES. So I went back and saved up some more money. And I went. And, and by then, it was the game that came packaged with the NES. It was Mario mm-hmm. 3. And I was so excited. I bought it at the, at the PX and home and I opened it up and guess what was not inside my box the game <laughs> they did not put the game in my box no. and I was like mother you know and you know I was probably at this point I was probably about 14 or so and I went to my dad and I was like dad they didn't put it in a box and this was one of those grow up moments my dad was like well what do you think you should do and I was like oh no you know, and he was like, is there a phone number on the box? And I was like, yeah. He's like, call them and tell them what happened. I'm like, they're not going to believe me. They just think I'm scamming them. He said, call them and find out. So that was my first phone call to Nintendo of America. I told them I bought this box. It wasn't in there. And just not even a bat in an eye. They were like, oh, we'll mail you one. And they mailed me one. And then and that was it. you got uh, E.T. <laughs> hey, we got a bunch <laughs> of these E.T. games. So uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 yeah, I said the Super Mario Brothers three, and then they just they sent me mediocre Lorenzo Brothers two. <laughs> <laughs> Lorenzo Brothers. <laughs> I think it was around this time that they came out with Super Mario Brothers cereal. I remember seeing commercials for that, and yeah. and as well as the Super Mario Brothers Super oh, yeah. Show. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Around that time, I, they were sucking the life out of Mario through every medium they could. <laughs> oh, God. It was funny. It was like the Super Mario Brothers Super Show was like must watch. And that came out when I was, when I was tail into Germany. We And we did get that, which is weird because we didn't get a lot of TV. And I was like, you were so fired up. And I don't know if you've tried this. Have you tried going back and watching it as an adult? No. <laughs> no, but I, I got the feeling it's really terrible. What was the guy's it's name? The former wrestler? Captain Lou Albano. Yes. It's painful to watch now. I thought I would dig it. I bought like the set on DVD and I bought the set oh. of the Zelda cartoon that went with it. Oh, that, we spent money. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's just say I turned around and, and I watched it and I went, okay. And I flipped it on eBay. <laughs> yeah. Some other schmuck by it. Anyway, I like to hijack everybody's memory. Who else has got memories of Mario 3? Oh, just got memories of, uh, you know, sitting there playing that uh, over, you know, with a bunch of friends. Uh, same with California Games and Skate or Die. Just, every you know, everybody taking turns. So well, I can do better than that. Let's try this and do that. And <laughs> Yeah. Wasn't there a game called Town and Country? TNC Surf Design. TNC Surf Design, it. yes. I also got that game after I got back to the States. <laughs> Nice. Well, let's let's kind of move on here with March 8th. Nintendo World Championships begins. Fred Savage was in that. Yes, he was. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> Pat, tell me that you get these references. You no. know what we're talking about? Oh, I, know who, I know You're who Fred Savage show. is, but maybe I'm... Mute, someone mute Pat's okay. microphone. I'll, I'll mute myself. <laughs> Do you remember the movie The Wizard? Vaguely. That's what we're talking about. And that's what it was about. It was about like he had like this like was the kid autistic, Joe? Uh, that part I don't recall. I, I can't he, he was like well, he was like very well, at least very socially awkward. 
for, yeah, he for was Sam's a popular <laughs> little brother was was very socially awkward. He may have been autistic. I don't remember if that was a plot point or not, but it was all about getting him to the Nintendo World Championships because he had like this gift for playing Nintendo games. And that was the big unveiling. Like that whole movie was a commercial for Super Mario Bros. 3. And then I guess they decided to have Nintendo World Championships in real life. Mm-hmm. And I know that the cartridges that were played at the championships make big money on eBay and stuff now because there were so few of them made. Uh, I didn't even know they made special ones for that. Yeah, they're like silver and gold, and they have like two or three games on them because there was like three games in the championships. And so all three games come on one cartridge, and you flip a switch to determine which one you play, and it's like a silver cartridge. And yeah, they're worth a lots of money. Interesting. Can I turn my mic back on now? <laughs> Yes, you I didn't hear. I didn't hear anything just now. <laughs> well, yes, you say my whooshing sound. <laughs> well, speaking about movies, Joe, why don't you bring us into what were the movies that were released in February of 1990? I sure will. So let's look at uh, February 2nd. I'm not sure what day of the week that was. It was a crap uh, day, judging by these movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, after the you know the holiday blockbusters, they just need to kind of come up with some fillers <laughs> <laughs> before the summer hits come through. So on February second, we had the movie uh, Flashback, which was an action flick. It uh, it earned about maybe six mil in the theaters. <laughs> there was a movie called Heart Condition, which was a comedy. But that joke just writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> I vaguely remember that movie, but I, it's vague. Yeah, yeah well. It, it made about four million, so somebody saw it. <laughs> and then uh, um, the next one, there was a drama. There were three dramas that came out during that time. One was called Men Don't Leave, and it made about six million in theaters. And, and then the there theater. was a, uh, there was a, <laughs> and then there was a Spanish flick, uh, Nuevo Cinema Paradiso, mm. if I'm pronouncing that right. It was a drama where they made about eleven million, and then Stella was a drama that made the most that weekend, and it made twenty million dollars. I got nothing on it. Yeah, don't know. Didn't see either one of those. Well, Pat, do you have any comments uh, on any of those movies? Can, can I undo my mic, the mute? Yeah, you can talk <laughs> now. No, I got nothing. All right, I'll move us forward a week to February 9th of 1990. I actually got some halfway decent movies in mine. Sorry, Joe. And, and I'm using that term loosely. I got a, I got a Steven Seagal movie of, of Hard to Kill, which is actually probably my favorite of the Steven Seagal movies. You know, they are what they are. And... Uh, mm-hmm. Hard to kill, yeah. Hard to kill made almost fifty million dollars, man. Yeah. Another movie called came out called The Haunting of Morella. It might be pronounced Morea. I'm not sure. It's a horror movie. Nobody saw it. Nobody cares. Um, <laughs> another movie that came out that month is a I consider an underrated movie. Loose Cannons, which has Gene Hackman and Dan Aykroyd, oh. is actually not a bad movie. It didn't do terribly well. It made like four point four million. Either of you guys ever seen Loose Cannons? Not no, in the theaters, not. but probably on yeah. movie channels later on. Right, mm. right. Yeah, Loose Cannons is actually an enjoyable little movie. I mean, it's yeah. Gene Hackman and Dan Aykroyd. Those are two good folks, right? So anyway, uh, a drama called Stanley and Iris that nobody ever saw came out. <laughs> and um, another movie called Torrents of Spring, which made about 12 yeah. bucks, I think. Just about that. Yeah, no, I got nothing on Stanley and Iris or Torrents of Spring. Joe, anything on any of those movies? Mm. Hard to kill was cool. That was about <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> that was the one where you like went to war with the Jamaican gangs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I can't remember the plot point. I just remember Steven took it off. Yeah, I mean, does it matter? They're all yeah, fairly he's kicking similar. Ass yeah. somewhere. Yep. So movies that came out for February 16th of 1990, we have Courage Mountain. We got nothing on that. Madhouse. Nah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar, but I, nothing's bringing to mind. Night Breed, a horror movie. 
I remember that one. Well, I remember seeing that okay. on HBO. I got yep. nothing on that. I I remember hearing about it, but I don't think I've seen it. Did I, I want to say Howie Mandel was in it in a horror movie. I'll take your word for that. <laughs> no. no, no, I'm thinking. No, it's no, no. I'm thinking of a different one. But it was a Clive Barker okay. movie. Hmm, interesting. Oh, okay. And interesting enough, the music was composed by Danny Elfman. <laughs> oh, look at you with the tie into the video game. Cool. Kind of, because there was no Danny. <laughs> 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 uh, next, also, we have uh, Revenge. It's a thriller suspense movie. Uh, got nothing on that one either. The nope. Witches. Anybody see The Witches? <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Let's move on to the next week then. All right, listeners, this is the second time that our Skype recorder went a little haywire on us and we lost all the movies that were released that final week of February 1990. It's really no big loss because there really wasn't anything of note on that week. As we come back, we're remarking about how two of the better box office performers of February 1990 both had the word heart in their title. Where the heart is and heart condition. Two heart based in February of 1990. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Nah. Definitely not a lot going on. So, I mean, if we had to vote, like, what we think the best movie of February 1990 is, uh, is there any debate that Hard to Kill is probably it? For that month? No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I put Loose Cannon on the table, but uh, I think Hard to Kill, as the money reflects, is probably the best yeah, film. definitely. Of February 1990. Cool. Yep. That would be the movies, then, for February of uh, 1990. So, you guys are going to ask me, Pat, what's the top three songs at this time? Hey, Pat. Yeah. Hey, Jared, yeah. <sighs> what are the top three songs <laughs> of this time? I'm glad you asked, Jared. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and I know you know what the number three song is, so go ahead and take that one. You're going to give me number three song? Awesome. Because it's probably my favorite one of all these. The number three song in about mid-February of 1990 was one of my favorites, Janet Jackson singing Escapade. Nice. Let's get away. Let's save my troubles for another day. I mean, I think that's how it goes. I'm a man. I'm not sure, but I'm just guessing. <laughs> but if I knew the lyrics, they would go that way. They would sound something like that. Now, I was uh, I had to keep it formal with her because she always asked me to call her Miss Jackson. Oh, because you're nasty. Oh, nasty. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, he's got the jokes and the jokes. Spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghetti. <laughs> so, which one of you guys is doing got, the number two I got, song? I got okay, who's doing two. the number two song? I'm hoping you oh, remember you it because I yeah, oh, I, I know this song. I totally know this song. <laughs> Joe, you are in for a treat. When Pat sings songs to help me remember, is my favorite part of every show. Let's do Let's it. Let's do this. The number two song, the week of February 13th, 1990, is Seduction. Two to make it right. Nichols a little something like this. Sorry, it's coming back to me. That's so good. I got the twelve inch of it. I, I, I guess I wasn't listening to the same radio station you guys were. I don't know that song at all. Me and you, it takes two. It takes two. It takes two. It takes two. There you go. Hey, I remember it now. 
Joe, why don't you go ahead and so, give us the number one song? So the number one song for around that time frame was Paul Abdul with a song called Opposites Attract, which was interestingly a duet with the Wild Pair, which I didn't know. Mm. I know the Wild Pair was a thing. They must have done that little like the little rap spot yeah, during well, that song. She, they may have. She they may have. Guy, so I guess he, two steps forward, two steps. Well, guy is relative. She's singing with an wow. animated character, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was a cat whose like name and cat. This, it, the name of the cat was called MC Scat Cat. Yeah. Mm. Yes. yes. <laughs> Animated cat. So two steps forward, <laughs> two steps back. <laughs> Come together. The lyric that I remember the, the most is she doesn't like cigarettes, but that cat likes to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to smoke. smoke. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember uh, most about take that song. Heavy. I take them light. <laughs> <laughs> then let's go ahead and we'll take two steps forward and we'll take two steps back. And that's going to do it for this episode. <laughs> so I want to give a thanks to the team for being here. Here's where you can find our endeavors on the internet. I'll start this with Joe. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, as well as SoundCloud under the name Josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9. And you can find my pages out there. You can find my music uh, on SoundCloud. I go as Joe November. Come check me out if you have a chance. Cool. Give him a listen. Jared, how about you? All right. I'm on Twitter at Yard Sale Artist. I'm on Facebook at Yard Sale Artist. If you want to get some more of my podcast lovings, you can hear myself with the dulcet tones of Pat Sampson on The Long Box Crusade. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother Jason occasionally smooth. <laughs> yeah, my brother Jason occasionally joins us there. I'm also over on the White Rocket Entertainment Network. I have my own show called Comics with Normies, which you can follow on Facebook, Comics with Normies, or on Twitter, at Normies Podcast. That's a fun show. I also do a podcast called On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, all about James Bond. Y- you name it, I'm on it. Just just come find me in the digital sphere. Uh, it'll, it'll all go well. Just trust me on this. Stop by my Twitter page to find out where you can find me uh, doing my art at uh, various Comic-Cons all across this great nation of ours. That's it for today. (laughs) Well, folks, and you can find me, since Jared didn't want to roll it over to me. Thank you very much, Jared. See, it's all about him. Oh, wait, I just thought of some more podcasts that I'm on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Over to you, Pat. (laughs) Well, thank you, Jared. I'm glad you asked me. I can... You can find me on the internet webs out at uh, longboxcrusade.com is the website. You can also follow on Twitter at Longbox Crusade. You can also find me on the Facebook at Longbox Crusade there. Or you can look at my personal Facebook is Pat Sampson. Look me up there. I like to have fun with my picture profiles there. So look me up. <laughs> you, you do have fun pictures. So <laughs> He's also on Tender as Patman. <laughs> Nice. On Grinder, he's Christmas. I like that. I'm hoping there I can get a little more, you know, uh, European flavor over there. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so, like to thank everybody for joining us here on this first episode of Comics to Council Crusade. Thank you guys for, again, joining me or being a part of this podcast. I think it was very fun, and I look forward with Jared and Joe going through more games and having fun. So, we hope you all continue to join us as we are on a crusade to play, play them all.
best to assume a temporary form. The intro and outro theme to this show and all of our shows are done by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it. That's a wrap on the first of our Lost Episodes releases. There are more to come, but we hope that you enjoyed our pilot of Comics to Console Crusade. And again, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show, so please let us know what you think of the unaired pilot by commenting about it on our Twitter page at Longbox Crusade. Facebook page, also Longbox Crusade, or by sending us an email at contact at longboxcrusade.com. One more thanks to Joe November for stopping by. His music is amazing, so be sure to check out the Joe November SoundCloud page. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next episode.